If you have a Bible, turn with me to Psalm 67. Uh, it's where we're going to be actually this week and next week. Uh, my name is Muchi Kabo, one of the pastors here. Uh, first and foremost, it feels good to be back. Um, in the life of our church, what happens is over the summer, uh, me and my family, we, we take what's called a sabbatical. So we end up being gone for what approximates to about five weeks, five weeks of, of not preaching. Um, so we're still involved in community, so we're part of city groups. Um, we come on Sundays. We also visit different churches, use it as an opportunity uh, to strengthen other churches. And we know church planning is hard and usually travel. Uh, this year, didn't get to do that because I had surgery, as you guys know. And so, but obviously I'm walking because God is great and Nigerians are strong. And so, but um, pulled up this morning, I uh, saw Casey Bruce. She was eating the apple. She didn't see me. I saw her. That's usually how it goes. I see most things. Pastoral privilege, right? But um, I saw her and um, got a little, eyes got a little watery. Smile came on my face. Told her this this morning. And I was just like, man, this feels good to be home. You know, um, no, no matter where, where we go, to just come back and be around. It's like, man, this is, this is home. You guys are family. So I uh, just want to say thank you, first and foremost, for allowing us to be able to get away, but then also persevering while we're away. We're, we're family. Uh, and so while there was this, this, you know, this overwhelming sense of gladness, you know, I, I am a pastor. Like, I'm not, like, this is not just my profession. This is my life. Um, I'm not just among you guys, I am, but also called to lead you guys. There's a difference. And so when I got to my office, uh, that I rarely use, they don't really only use it on Sundays, uh, but um, Diamond came in and she looked at me and she was like, are you okay? You just turned red. I was like, well, you look kind of good. Maybe that's why I turned red. I don't know. Uh, and I think, I think I'm okay. And she just came and she put her head on my head uh, and then she grabbed the back of my head and she whispered uh, these words into to my, to my soul. And she was like, man, you don't hold the weight of the world on your shoulders anymore. Uh, it's a John Bellion song. It's one of my favorite songs. He's one of my favorite artists, John Bellion. Google him. He's a beast. Uh, he's like, you don't hold the weight of the world. God does. And I believe that. But I, I still need to hear that from time to time, even being up here. And we're cracking open a text. There's a weight to the text. And I feel that weight. But my prayer, um, and it's actually how we're going to close our time, is, is by just reading uh, what has been a prayer from my heart pastorally for you guys as a people. In fact, if you were to title uh, this week and next week, usually uh, what I've been told is Muchi's sabbatical um, sermons are like ramblings or musings, and they have no titles. But if we're going to give this a title, Brian Matthews, uh, if we're going to give this a title, uh, the title for today and tomorrow could be seen as a prayer for a people. Like that, that's today, um, that's uh, next week. It's a prayer for a people. And, and really, it's birthed out of who we've been for the last four years, who we hope God uh, uh, continues to allow us to be, but who we need to be, honestly, in a more aggressive and intentional way over the next four or five months. A prayer for people, Psalm 67. Let me kick it off like this. Um, Ligon Duncan, um, no, not Ligon Duncan, um, R.C. Sproul, who, who's with the Lord now, he, he used to say that right now um, counts forever, and forever counts right now. This moment matters. 
this moment matters. And there's people who are not in this moment right now, and I just want to say they should be in a moment next week. And so if, if you know them, if you, if you see them, you're like, man, you, were, you weren't here um, today. P- bring them next week because what we are talking about are moments that matter in the here and now for our lives personally, but then our city as well. And they count forever as forever invades the, the eternity that God has promised invades our everyday. So I just, I just felt like I needed to, to just say that from the beginning, is that right now counts forever and forever counts right now. This is probably going to be a long intro. It's not going to be a long sermon. It's going to be a long intro. And so uh, if, if, I, if I can, all of what's been just bubbling in my heart is this idea that God would stir us to know him and then send us out to make him known. Now that's it. If we, if, we, if we just get that, everything changes. That there will be a, a stirring within the deepest parts of our soul to know God and then ascending by God with our lives to make him known. Almost preach Isaiah 6, but we're not going to do that. And so um, we're looking at this prayer, Psalm 67. Can I just blitz you with stuff on prayer that I think is necessary to frame um, our understanding of Psalm 67 before we go deep and then we'll get to work? Uh, prayer... <clears throat> Excuse me, allergy season. Did you touch me, Andrew? Because he has a cold. Pray for Andrew, a car. I'm just going to name everybody because I feel good to be home. Let me just (laughs) praise God. Um, No, like there is this, I, I, I think the word is resurgence, rise in the prominence and necessity of prayer. Not even amongst Christians, just prayer in general. Even this idea of transcendental meditation. And so there's this, this recognizing that you need to, or we need to, as a, a people, as humans, to really just kind of unplug from the world around us and then zone out. Now, um, in Miami, in our city, this transcendental meditation or even Christian prayer, Christian prayer, is often associated with illicit drugs. That's our city. So it's edibles and wheat. Yes? Can I say that out loud? Going to talk about it in a few months. Been loaded. It's been a good summer. Been away. And so, so it's filled with edibles where we just eat and we're like, man, I'm just drifting off into, and, I'm, and maybe I'm now thinking about God. And so there's this resurgence of the need of prayer in the life of people. But what I would argue is that the resurgence of the need of prayer will fall short if we don't define prayer rightly. Or if we divorce prayer and its intent for the one who gave it God. Prayer is more than transcendental meditation. It's more than just unplugging to pull away from the world around you. Prayer is literally communing with God. Prayer in in a Christian worldview, in a Christian tradition as expressed from the Bible is to Christianity, what breathing is to life. You don't breathe, you die. You don't pray as a Christian, you won't flourish. It doesn't happen. Your prayer life is literally a window into what you believe about God and what you believe about yourself and others. In other words, if I could say another thing, prayer is a storyteller. It tells a story about what you believe about God, how you see him, how you view him, what you believe about others. Are they worthy of even being mentioned in your prayers? What you believe about stuff, what do you bring before the doorstep of eternity? 
And what do you bring about self? Do I even go pray? Am I worthy? Will he hear me? It's a storyteller. One more thing on, on, on prayer, and then I'm just going <laughs> to, you know, um, get it to Psalm 67. And, and this, I think, is the thing that's just been convicted. I've been convicted a lot this summer. Like, God's been just like, one, two, soul, die, raise again. Spirit, I'm alive, resurrected me. All right, so, but in light of that, and even just knowing kind of where a lot of us are um, in, our, in, our, in our Christian maturity, like, there is this absence of persevering in prayer that I've seen just amongst people specifically the people of God, and if I could be so bold, us as a church. And quite honestly, persevering in prayer is one of the hardest things to do, right? It's just just hard to keep praying because you're like, man, if I keep praying, is that showing faithlessness? Isn't it just like pray one time and that's an act of faith you believe, Right? But as hard as persevering in prayer is, it is one of the most necessary, healthy, and fruitful things that we could ever do. You get this passage in Luke 18 um, with this persistent widow and this king, and, and, and she just keeps going back to the king. She keeps going back to the king, and the king finally hears her. And the point of that passage is not that we twist God's arm, that we need to bug him, that we need to annoy him. The, the, the point of that is that we would continue to endure because we believe he has the power to grant what we're praying. Persevering in prayer is difficult. It is hard. It's one of the hardest things we could do in Christianity. Yet, it's one of the most healthiest and fruitful things we could do. And so as we look at this prayer, which is also a praise and it's a proclamation, Peter Piper picked a pack of pickled peppers, See you back there. Like, like my, my prayer, which we'll get to at the end, but even now, is that we would persevere. That though I will preach this this week and next, we would preach this to ourselves forever. Let's get to it. Psalm 67. Let me just read it. And then we're only going to look at the first um, two verses. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, say la pause. It's a nice little pause break. It's worthy. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge, you judge the peoples with equity. And you guide the nations upon earth, Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. I like that confidence there. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let's get to work. So, this is, this is a very rich, loaded, layered view of the heart of somebody who believes something majestic about God. He's worthy. Furthermore, he believes that he's not just worthy, but he's willing to be known. It's, 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 it's utterly relational. It's a beautiful prayer. 
You're going to pray for me that we just stay in these first two verses. Next week is verses three and four, the application for us collectively in our city. But this week is, I just, if this could just be our prayer, if, we, if this prayer could just hijack our hearts, if but for a moment, it'd be a win. Oh, it'd be a win. In order for that to happen, we just need to look at the layers of this prayer. So it starts off, and, and it's a request. It's, God, be gracious to us and make your face to shine upon us. So, so God, turn your eyes, turn your attention, turn everything that is you toward us and bless us. That's a pretty daring request. You search the scriptures, and there are people who are terrified about God seeing them. In fact, Isaiah talks about this. Revelation is going to bring this out, that when, when, when God sees us as we are, apart from him, it's actually not a great thing. That people, they know that, they recognize that God is altogether different, that he's uniquely set apart, and he sees them. They, they see his gaze on them. They're like, I don't want that. So they call on the mountains to hide them. Yet, this person, this psalmist is saying, no, 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 I don't want to hide from your gaze. I need it full force, which means that it's birth from relationship. We're together, and I want you more. I want you to see me. I want you to stare at me. And I want to stare back at you. God bless us. It's a request for blessing. Can I just say this? This should free a lot of us. Some of us are terrified to ask God to bless us. And what I've seen is for Christians who kind of enter in that space where they're like, man, I, can I really ask God to bless us? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a swinging of the pendulum away from what has been classically defined as the prosperity gospel towards this new thing, which is this poverty gospel, which is like, oh, yeah, like, you know, I'm not supposed to have anything. I'm supposed to just kind of like bow my head and just walk around like, you know, I'm only supposed to shop at thrift stores. I can't do Zara. I can't do H&M. Yeah, and it's just, it's just, I'm like, where in the, yet this is a humble Yet confident, say, God, bless us. Blessing is loaded. We, we understand blessing. We usually define blessing um, in, in three ways. This isn't necessarily tied to the Christian tradition. This is just people in general. We, we define um, blessing along the lines of financial freedom. So it's not just that I got money. I got money so I don't need you. That's what financial freedom is often defined as. I just don't want to be tied to anybody else. Right? And so, so financial freedom is one way that we define um, blessing. Another way that we define blessing is a significant name. So people know me, like Ron Burgundy. I'm kind of a big deal. You know what I'm saying? And so like a significant name that you want to be around me, you want to interact with me. That's how we define blessing. Another way that we define blessing is a significant other. Right? That's why we look at people who are single as less than, because we're wicked and foolish. But that's how we define blessing, is that you, you know that you are a blessed human being when you are financially free, and you don't really need anybody. you got a significant name. People actually want to be you. And though you really don't need anybody, you really want somebody so that you have a significant other. And when those three things are in place, that's blessing. Can I say that that's not necessarily an inaccurate definition of blessing. It's just an inadequate one. 
That when you search the scriptures and you see how God defines blessing, he talks about those things. He's like, oh, like, yeah. Like, you're not going to want. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the food is the Lord's. I'm going I'm to pour out a blessing for you. In fact, Malachi, now, now preachers have hijacked Malachi. Test the Lord. He's not going to open up the gates and pour out. Yeah. But really, it's investigate my character, see how generous I am, how good I am, not just generally, but specifically and uniquely. God, I'm going to provide for you. Mal did say it, Jehovah Jireh, right? God, my provider. That you do have a significant name, but it's a name that you don't get for yourself. It's a name that I get you, give to you, right? This was Abraham. Right after Genesis 11 with the Tower of Babel, where everybody's like, yo, we're going to come together and build a name for ourselves. We want blessing. We don't want to be forgotten in the annals of history. We want to be remembered forever. God says, that's not the way it works. Scatters them. Then chooses one human, Abraham, and says, look, I am going to make your name great. I'm going to give you a significant name, Abraham. And in you, I will bless everybody else. I'm getting ahead of myself. But he gives him a significant name, significant others. He who finds a wife finds good. That's a good thing. To be in an office not knowing what's happening in your heart and soul, yet somebody put their head on your forehead, their arm around your neck, and says, you don't hold the weight. That's a good thing. It's a blessing. Yet, what you start to see Sorry, my, I didn't bring my energy down. I, I haven't preached in like five weeks, guys, so you guys forgive me. <laughs> I got time too. Calm, calm down, Moochie. Tone management. But what you start to see is it's inadequate because those are also the same thing that Satan offers people. Right? Have you noticed that? Satan and Jesus, temptation in the wilderness, give you a great name, provide for you. The, the, you and so they can't be the quintessential definition of blessing, but we have to look to them to understand what blessing really is. Blessing is those things with God. The blessing is the relationship, and you see that in Psalm 67.1. It is utterly relational. And what he's asking for with the gaze, with bless us, is God be present. Don't just provide for us, but be present among us relational the blessing is relationship and he wants more of it it's from his heart you tracking with me here's here's how i would apply that a little bit we need to remove the restrictions that we place on the requests we lay before god and the way we do that is by reframing how we view god that God is generous and kind and does want us to experience those financial things. He does want us to experience a significant name. Did you know that Jesus is going to give you a new name in eternity that only he knows and you'll know? Do you know that you have a new name now? Son, daughter, significant name, the blessing of that. That's in two weeks when we talk about the fatherhood of God. And you have a significant other whether it is tangible, like I have a spouse, or it's spiritual, which is better, you have the body of Christ, and you have a husband in Jesus. 
The blessing is a relationship. And so we have to reframe how we see God so that we can start to remove the restrictions that we have on the requests that we make. A big God, a great God, is worthy of great ask. He's worthy of that, of those requests. Let's not cheapen our lives by dimming our requests because we have a dim view of God. It's layered, though. So, 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 so he, he, he gives us this beautiful introduction, this request of, God, bless, bless, bless us, which is fast. Okay. It's not just relational. It's not just personal, but it's communal. Don't just bless me. Bless us. Masterful. This psalmist is amazing. And so he gives us this, this request of, God, turn your face, smile on us, see us with good intention, bless us. But do you know what's, I mean, it is shocking about this passage. That's not the end. It's the means. He's not saying, okay, bless us, God, so that we can be good. Bless us, oh God, so that we can be secure with financial freedom. Bless us, oh God, so that we can be secure and confident and comfortable with a significant name, son, daughter of the Most High. Bless us, oh God, so that we can have a significant other, so we don't go to bed lonely at night, but we don't walk around lonely because we have the bride of Christ anyway. Now, he says, bless us, oh God, read with me, so that your way may be known on earth your saving power among all nations he makes the blessing of god a means to the end not the end itself for himself that's massive why do you want god to bless you typically why do we want god to bless it's really it's really for ourselves and then we can get cute you know what i'm saying we can say no, i really want to be a blessing so i can be a blessing because that's what we're supposed to say but it's not really indicative of our lives in any significant way i know that because i know your budgets and how it's like man you know even when i think about giving to a church to a nonprofit, or to another person it is out of discretionary income and if I don't have discretionary income, because I live in a city where the cost of living is, and the living wages, so my discretionary income is, so, and, so if I live in my city like Miami, right, then it's, amen. And so like, it's like, yo, like, I don't really have a lot of discretionary income, therefore, I'm not bound to the same level of generosity. That's how we live, right? Am I lying? And so we, we really don't think that blessing exists for other people through us. We, don't, we really don't think that. And if we think that, we don't act like it. And the reason we don't act like it is because actually we actually don't think that. We don't believe that. And then it's tied to our view of God. Is he as generous, as kind, that I really believe he is? Where he could bless me, care for me, so much so that I could be concerned of other people more than I'm concerned of myself. So when, the, when, you, when you get this second verse, that your ways would be known, it's not in this detached way. It's still relational. 
So there's, it's not just I want them to know you. It's still being pulled. It's I want to know you, and from there I want to make you known. Here's what I'm seeing culturally in our, in our cultural moment amongst our church, amongst minority Christians, and really just in America and, and honestly the globe, is there, we're just experiencing this massive deconstructing of Christianity where it's like what has been, as Jude says, the faith once delivered for all, for all time, all people everywhere for all time, is like, ah, uh, maybe not. And so we, we'll, we'll get cute with it. We'll, you know, we'll say like, man, you know, really, you got to understand the cultural nuances of the scripture. You got to understand the culture that they were talking to because that really doesn't apply to us. That applies to that culture. And I get some of that, right? We have the exegetical or the contextual truth, the truth for those people. But in every text, there's not just contextual truth. There's theological or timeless truth. And what we do is we start to say, I'm not going to deal with the timeless theological truth that is birth from the scriptures, birth from Christianity. Because really... It was just for them, not us. We need to reimagine this thing for us in the 21st century. It's like, that sounds good. Very dangerous. And what we start to see is the deconstructing that takes place is not from a place of faith. It's from a place of fear and woundedness. There's something in the scriptures. There's something in God that I disagree with, that I'm wounded by. So what I start to do is I start to adjust what I see in the scriptures and adjust what I see in God so that I can no longer be wounded or fearful of them and I can be comfortable. That's not Faith, that ain't good hermeneutics, that's not Christianity. Biblical faith adjusts to God. It doesn't make God adjust to us. It says I see something in the scriptures, I see something in God, and, 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 and though I may be pressed by it, it moves me a little bit, I don't move away from him, I don't force him to adjust to me, I adjust to him. You make that make sense to me, God. And if we got to stay in this moment for about 50 years, so be it. If I'm going to wrestle with this until I see you face to face, amen. Because the scriptures also say that now I know in part, but when I see you face to face, I'm going to know in full. Man, I am tripping. <laughs> All right, I saw my time. I'm looking. This is why I need a two. I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm, trip. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? And so this, even, so the, this statement that your ways would be known assumes an ever-increasing experience of faith, the gaze of the soul to stare at God and keep staring. The gaze of the soul to see beyond reality. You don't distort reality. You don't bend it. This isn't the matrix. All right? You're not Neo. But you see reality in light of a new reality, who God is and what God says. The gaze of the soul that your ways would be known and not just known intellectually because we're not just thinking things. Emotionally, relationally, experientially, that your ways would be known everywhere. Every square inch of the globe. You know what? The only way we could pray that 
is if God's ways are burned into every square inch of our heart. Those parts that are tender and scary where we do want to deconstruct the faith. Those parts that are tender and scary where we don't want to persevere in prayer anymore because it seems worthless. Those parts that are tender and scary where we look at God and we try to hold him hostage to blessing, but it's blessing on our terms. That every square inch of our hearts, his ways are burned into them and we know that he's good. We believe that his story is true. We have an ever-expanding view of who he is, this God who knows stars by name, but he knows our name very personally. He's powerful, he's personal, he's transcendent, yet he's tender, it would be burned into us. Your name, your ways, known. Yet he goes on to this other aspect, that it's not just your ways, the paths, that Psalm says are paths to life, that you lead us towards, life in your hands. First of all, we need to reimagine what life in God's hands looks like anyway. That's next week. But it's not just your ways. There's a unique way, your saving power. That your strength to rescue would be experienced by everybody. That's a massive prayer. God, I don't want anybody to go to hell. It's a big deal. God, would you flex your muscles so much so that you would reach into the chest of the most hardened person, that you would grab their heart, that you would make it soft, and that you would bring them to life, that you would rescue them. But what we know, because that's the gospel, God dying for us instead of us, Jesus, so that he could be with us, relationship, which is a blessing. But it's not just for people out there who don't know him. It's for us. So the saving power is both in terms of this missional pull that people would know you, but it's also that you would grow to people who know you, that they would experience that resurrected power that we sung about. Your name and name is victory. By your spirit, I'm alive. Resurrected King has resurrected me. And he wants that to be experienced by people. He's a selfless man. Would we be selfless as well? Um, I'm about to close with the prayer, but before I read it, because it's, it's, I wrote it out, it's in my journal, but I typed it out because I have bad handwriting. I thought I was going to be a doctor. I was wrong. Um, and so I feel the need to say this. Um, As I, I've spent time just, you know, contemplating, engaging, I'm disconnected from social. Um, I'm, I'm going back because of rebukes from people who are better than me, i.e. Tracy. Um, but every time I go to a sabbatical, I'm like, I really don't want to go back to social. <laughs> I just want to just, just live unplugged, yeah. Um, but in conversations with people, man, there's this, almost this fear of forward and, and it's like, how do I explain it? It's this weird fear that where we are now is where we'll always be. Like things can't actually get better. 
which isn't the biblical arc of the world, by the way. Things are actually getting better. I know right now at times it doesn't feel like it is, but the biblical arc of history is things get better. Renewal is coming. So what I wanted to say to us is this. Where we are today isn't where we have to be tomorrow. In fact, that should bring a lot of life to some of us who we're staring at the future super fearful. But where you are today does not have to be where you are tomorrow. And in order for that to be the case, individually, collectively, direction is more necessary than motion. So, um, you know, you spend a lot of time with your kids when, you, when they don't have school. <laughs> you know, right? so they're just here. Uh, and, you know, I just, amen. Uh, and so I was just, you know, meditating um, with one of my daughters and just talking to her about just life and, um, and then, you know, looking at some old pictures. And um, I saw this picture of like this rocking horse thing that she used to have. Um, it was like a rocking horse unicorn. I don't even know where we found that at. Do you remember that? Situation? I don't even know where we found that at. Um, but like she would like hop on it and it would be the way that we would tire her out before bedtime. You know what I'm like now we use Netflix, you know what I'm saying, and Zendaya, that's how she gets tired out. But like it was this rocking horse and she would just, but you know what? It was a lot of motion. It just didn't go anywhere. It didn't go anywhere. Does that make sense? Like, so so motion, motion doesn't necessarily mean anything. You have a lot of motion and not go anywhere at all. It's really about direction. It's really about, am I, am I on the move in a particular way? And, and for us, if you're on the move towards Jesus, towards this prayer, then even if you're inching towards it, it's better than if you're sprinting in the other direction. Even if you're just inching towards it, it's better if you're just doing a whole bunch of stuff elsewhere. And so if, if, you, don't, if you don't want your tomorrow to be like it is right now, inch towards Jesus just for a little bit. Let's see what he does with it. Now, in closing... This is a prayer that I wrote down that was birthed from this text that I hope will guide us into the future. There's a lot of cool stuff that's happening in our church that we're going to start to make known some, um, over the next week or so. But there's also some stuff that is challenging that we're going to make known as well. But in the midst of it all, I think this is um, what the prayer for us is going to be. I'm going to pray this. Um, and as I'm praying this, the words will be on the screen, so feel free to pray it with me in your own heart. And we're not going to catechize anybody. It's not a cold or anything like that. But, you know, and so um, I'm going to go straight into communion after, after we read this. So read, read with me. Father, God, help us to understand how loaded that word is, how life-giving it can be, how overused it seems because... It's often detached from your greatness and glory. Yet, the word and its meaning is simply majestic, Father. Would we catch an ever-expanding vision of life in your hands? Bring us beyond the boundaries of our fear. There are people waiting for you without even knowing it. Ironically, it seems you're waiting for us and we don't seem to know it. Oh, Father, bring us beyond the boundaries of our fear, Jesus. 
what a beautiful name you have. The scope and depth of your life and love is breathtaking. You who touched the untouchable, you held the unwanted, you pursued the disregarded and still kept and care for your own, you're worthy. Your worth is often dimmed by the gods we make, counterfeits of glory, counterfeits of goodness, over-promising and under-delivering, but that's not the case with you. You go beyond our categories of good, our categories of love, our categories of justice, our categories of you. Oh, would we see you? Would we want the want to to walk with you? Would the simplicity and dignity of the cross you carried and hung on empty us of ourself only to be filled with more of you? We need you. Holy Spirit, breathe on us. Make us come alive. Mend and renew what's been broken or stagnant. Protect and increase a fire within and among us. Create an atmosphere of grace where we rest in and taste of your goodness and strength. Create an atmosphere of truth where we delight in the word of God, treasuring it, trusting it, flourishing in it. You're able to do work beyond our imagination. We would, would we believe that you're not just able, you're willing. Breathe on us. God, I love and believe in these people, our people, your people. Would we go beyond as a people, from all people, passionate for you? Would the richness of Christ dwell in and among us as we drink deeply from the gospel, your story? Would humility, energy, unity, and joy mark us as we live passionately in the family of God as brothers and sisters? Would we, be a, would we be a blessing to the people around us, the community around us, the culture around us, bringing the better wine with our presence, which is your presence, joining you in everyday life that people may experience eternal life, engaging actively in the mission of God for your name and others good would we thirst for more and more and more content but never settling stirred deeply from within by you and for you stir within us to know you send us to make you known in jesus name amen we're getting ready to transition to communion and it's not by strength, it's not by power that those words will come alive. It is by the faithfulness of God in so much as what we heard together is rooted in the scriptures. And it is. We heard it, Psalm 67. This is just my words to Psalm 67. And I hope it would be our words ending with that line that God would stir us to know him and then send us to make him known because the gospel of Jesus that he would hang 
for us and instead of us. It's beautiful. It's useful. It changes everything. But it's beautiful as well. So as we sing together and we take these elements, feel free to come at your own leisure as we remember, reflect, and are renewed by the grace of God through communion.